Hello, Garbos, and welcome back to The Garbage Club, uh, a podcast where we watch bad movies and tell you to watch them, too. Uh, this weekend, I have... Uh, I stole Matt. Yep. <laughs> me and me alone. Yeah, it's only Matt uh, and me, Vivian. We were the only ones who wanted to watch this. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this this week we watched Batman Forever. That's right. Batman Forever is the 1995 follow-up to Tim Burton's uh, Batman Returns. Batman Returns didn't make as much money as the original Batman, so Warner Brothers decided to uh, change it up a bit, wanted to make it a little more family-friendly, and brought in Joel Schumacher, who had basically been building up a stronger reputation uh, since then. I think he just came off of doing like a couple John Grisham adaptations that did fairly well. So they cast him. He's actually he was actually a big Batman fan. In fact, I think he might be one of the only directors who came in as a Batman fan. And instead of drawing on the same sort of like dark aesthetic that Tim Burton did, decided to go more of the like comic book 60s TV show route. And the result is uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think interesting is definitely the right word. <laughs> I think I, yes. I stopped knowing what colors were after I watched that movie. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, it's it's virtually kaleidoscopic. Yeah, <laughs> sort of the opposite uh, effect of like modern video games where it's only gray. This was only colors. Pretty much. Uh, though I think it, it retains a lot of the same kind of angles and style and like architecture of Tim Burton stuff. Like there's a, there's a stylistic through line there, but the color palette is completely different. And in like that go, that it takes an even harder left turn, like in the second half of the movie. But anyway, what, what is the movie about? Basically, this is feeling like something that comes out of like the TV show, Two-Face. The sixties TV show to be clear. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, because this was running at the same time as the uh, animated series. Yes. Like, they got started up around the Which same time. I did not realize. I thought the animated series was before, like, all of this. Now, that was the... The animated series was, like, the, the beginning of that good era of Bruce Timm-inspired DC animation. But this movie features Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face and Jim Carrey as... Edward Nigma and later the Riddler, who team up with a scheme to steal enough money to fund Riddler's special device that makes him smarter so that they can learn all the secrets of Gotham City as well as the identity of Batman and bring the city under their control. It's a pretty pretty solid plan. Bit pinky in the brain maybe, but So yeah, you bring together sort of villainous masterminding and also lots of robberies. And uh, having having watched, I, I've actually mostly seen Batman and Robin uh, for some who knows godforsaken reason. And I think that Joel Schumacher really has something against diamonds. Because something against diamonds? In, yeah, in both this movie and in Batman and Robin, like the main MacGuffin is that they need diamonds to power their scheme. You know what? You're kind of right. Well, in this, <laughs> the, like... I think in one point, the Riddler 
refers to the money they're stealing as investment capital. Like it, it's they're raising funds. It's weird to have them acknowledge that because it's like there is no ideological opposition to Batman. Like they're not trying to undo him in like the much more serious Batman movies. You know, it's not so much a direct opposition as it is like a scheme that they hope Batman doesn't find out. Yeah. And I think also uh, Riddler is trying to like figure out Gotham's biggest mystery is Batman to him. So it's not so much like he's trying to destroy Batman. He's like trying to learn what Batman is. That's right. It's funny because they actually play off each other. They're not necessarily, it's not an out and out villain team up. Riddler is definitely like manipulating the violent instincts of Two-Face into getting what he wants and he get you know two face gets money out of it and riddler gets basically to be smarter and that's it it's never explicitly said but that's his main goal and it's it's fun watching those two things work off each other yeah i was i i've seen this movie i think maybe once before and i remember two face being much more a part of the plot <laughs> like watching it again it seems very much just like he's basically riddler's bane well he's he's trying to chew as much scenery as Jim Carrey at this point. Oh, and it's impossible to keep up. So they are, they are they're trying to take up as much space and like audience attention as possible. I get the feeling that this is like very early on in like the Jim Carrey kind of like career arc when he was just a very silly man. <laughs> and yeah, so much of his so much of his role is just him trying to be funny on demand it feels like. I don't know. It just seems like he's like at a hundred or like two hundred percent all the time. It it really is, and it, <laughs> it's kind of obnoxious after a while. Yeah, but the parts where he where he's not like that are actually really nice. Like he he more than anyone took more uh, like inspiration from the '60s iteration mm-hmm. of his character, like the uh, TV show version of Riddler. But he just kind of layered a lot of just that like screwballishness that was that kind of marked '90s Jim Carrey movies. On top of that, yeah, it's interesting though because it, it's pretty clear that Joel Schumacher very much had the '60s influence in mind, like with the uh, the bomb that Two Face sets off that kind of inadvertently kills Robin's parents. Oh, that's true. This it, this it's, movie is just like such a. 60s like it's just a spherical bomb and for some reason they have to stop it from reaching the top of the circus tent yeah because they don't stop it they just more clear a path for it and roll it off the roof but also at some point one of them says it's rising too fast we have to stop it <laughs> yeah you know but then like <laughs> the logistics robin of saves yeah robin saves everyone by pushing the bomb out of the top of the big top and just rolling it into the ocean which, again, is, like, I feel like almost a callback to that, like, uh, that one 60s Batman bomb scene where, like, Batman's trying to throw the bomb, and every time he does, there's, like, a cute child or a yeah. kitten in the way. <laughs> Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yep, that's that one. <laughs> yeah, I thought, like, I had a similar thought, too. I saw it, except it was extremely easy to get rid of that bomb. <laughs> but, yeah, this movie does also uh, introduce Robin into it, and so... From what I understand, from what I've read about, like, the Batman movies, uh, Robin was originally supposed to be introduced in, like, in Batman Returns. He was there in early drafts. But because that movie had already so many characters in it, uh, they 
ended up cutting him out. The more interesting uh, angle to that is that originally they wanted to cast Marlon Wayans as a bat as a Robin, and that just in terms of like comedic personalities being cast in Batman movies, which is like I guess a recurring pattern. The idea of like Marlon Wayans being Robin is just like it's so radically different than what we got. Yeah, like uh, I think Chris Chris O'Donnell is the Robin in this movie. Yep, and he's very like. He's a bit zanier than Val Kilmer, but like he is nowhere near the level of either Marlon Wayans or Jim Carrey or even uh, what's his face Tommy Lee Jones. So it's just bizarre to think about. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is is really being like the most theatrical he can be. Oh yeah, it's kind of incredible. Like I'm definitely used to seeing him as like you know Men in Black kind of very serious straight face, and then like in this he just like fucking is off. <laughs> he's off his rocks or yeah something. like i don't know it very early on in the movie you can tell he has had the conscious thought that he cannot keep up with like the volume of jim carrey or like the vocal range so he just <laughs> acts as big as possible like all of his motions are 10 yes. times the size they need to be huge yeah i think it also maybe is because of like the um prosthetics or the makeup on half of his face for two-face that's true it it does sort of limit his expression to kind of like half. yeah i actually I, I wasn't really paying close attention to that i just assumed his expressions were mirrored and uh yeah i wonder if that's kind of like he had to make up for losing half yeah, of his face that that's probably <laughs> that's the most reasonable explanation <laughs> well i think that's more or less the the synopsis like it's it's, it's a whole plot okay oh boy uh there's a lot going on in this movie, and not all of it fits inside the movie. No. It's... I think you're right. This seems like it was a much longer movie. Yeah. And, uh, like, they had to cut it down. So there's there's some real logical... Or not maybe, like, not logical leaps that you're like, man, they clearly cut out, like, 15 minutes of plot somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's cut to the bone in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. This is also uh, Val Kilmer's first and only uh, run as Batman. Basically, I think after uh, Michael Keaton heard that Tim Burton wasn't uh, directing the next one, he stepped down and just kind of got, like, decided to pursue more interesting roles, I think the quote was. Yeah, I think I I remember that being the story. Yeah. Val Kilmer is very, like, he's very young at this point, and he's kind of distracting looking as Batman. There's a a webcomic, I can't remember what it is, but it's this, it's someone drawing a, like, what, if Batman were drawn like female characters in comics were drawn, like that kind of weird, subtly sexualized take on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the comics, she shows the guy's like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. And it's like, yeah, well, now you understand. And watching Val Kilmer's like, oh, God, this is, that's, this is that comic. <laughs> yeah, he is like distractingly handsome. Uh, not as distractingly attractive as Nicole Kidman, though, who... Personally, watching this, I, like, could not recognize her as a human. Like, she was straight in the uncanny valley for me. Yeah, I can't believe anybody on Earth ever looked like that, to be honest. <laughs> like, her face is just too perfect, and then you're just like, I can't even find this attractive. Yeah, it's it's not just uncanny, but it's, like, superhuman. It's, like, it's beyond what, like, hu- you your yeah. basic understanding of what humans look like. Yes. Like, I imagine... Uh, like in Harry Potter, they have the Vilas who are also like supernaturally attractive. 
And uh, yeah, I, I imagine this is what Vila's would look like, is Nicole Kidman in this movie. I don't understand that reference. It's fine. <laughs> it's for the it's for the Garbos now, Matt. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, by, I guess we could just fast forward to the end of this movie. Uh, at the end, Batman has uh, picked up Robin. They're, they're quote unquote a team now. And uh, that actually sets up really well for Batman and Robin. Which, uh, having watched Batman and Robin, I, which is like a total nonsensical romp, if, if you enjoyed Jim Carrey chewing scenery, wait until you see Arnold Schwarzenegger. And like, for sure, we will be watching Batman and Robin in the future. Oh, absolutely. I cannot wait. Because I, I, I think I've only seen that one once. And it was, I was like nine years old at the time. Yeah. Like I said, I've, I've seen Batman and Robin upwards of 10 times. <laughs> Well, I've I've seen this movie upwards of ten times, so this is <laughs> well, as as like a a teenager into adulthood, right? Uh, so uh, having only seen Batman and Robin, like I I've basically only seen uh, Batman Forever maybe once, and I probably wasn't paying attention to it a ton. Um, so watching this movie after having seen Batman and Robin so many times, it's actually kind of incredible how much this movie sets up for batman and robin uh like the diamonds are a total callback um i'm not gonna say the lack of physics is is like a setup for the next one is so much as like joel schumacher's yeah (laughs) like interpretation of a comic book movie there are a lot of uh weird action beats and like dutch angles at work that's very like oh my god yes it there are times where it feels like it's trying to be the show, and other times where it's like, no, this is a serious action movie. We're going to watch him beat up a guy. So the conflict between Batman and Robin in this movie is Batman not wanting a partner. And then in the next movie, it evolves into Batman not respecting Robin as like a, a full 100% partner in their crime-fighting uh, duo. And he even has like a complex about, oh, you don't want me to get the girl with Poison Ivy? in batman and robin and in this one he's like totally being made to chase after like bruce and nicole kidman like they show up to this party and bruce and nicole kidman get out of a limo and then uh robin has to drive up in a separate limo and i saw that and i was like oh my god no wonder he's so fucking butthurt about poison ivy in the next movie yeah i think (laughs) batman and robin is a lot like the uh formation of like the bat family or at least that version of it and in this one, it's, like, Batman Forever is so much like this kind of, like, dual identity movie. You, know, you get the dueling identities of Bruce Wayne and Batman, both of them falling for uh, Nicole Kidman's character. And Bruce wanting to be, like, a positive influence on um, Dick Grayson's life. And then, like, Batman sort of learning that the two identities, I guess, don't have to compete. And then, like, he can use a partner. It's interesting because so much of the movie is obsessed with, like, the identity of Batman. It's not necessarily, like, what Batman represents. It's not, like, mm-hmm. sim- it's not symbolic. It's about, like, the, the human behind Batman, you know? Uh, like, Batman is Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Like, I think the movie takes up, like, equal equal stance on both of those statements. Yeah, and I think that's pretty interesting to have in conjunction with Riddler, who's very much like... Uh, in the beginning, he's kind of more balanced. Like, maybe he has, like, a 
sort of genius alter ego that he doesn't get to show off at work but then towards the end of the movie he's just totally overcome by being the riddler like ed enigma no longer exists oh boy yeah like that's absolutely true and then uh to really hammer that home you've got (laughs) two-face yeah two-face being really only like one side of two-face yeah he's he's just like he's never harvey dent in this movie exactly (laughs) He just pretends to be Harvey Dent in this movie. But I think something that makes this a whole lot more fun is also kind of want to note that this is just basically like a franchise building movie. And it does that weirdly well, like better than probably any of the Batman movies that came after it. Because it like it resolves basically like Bruce Wayne's central conflict as a character and then basically leaves off being like, hey, we could keep doing this basically forever. It's it leaves everything in such like an easily repeatable like format, and the way it sets it up kind of feels weirdly organic. I mean, it does feel like an organic thing that does have like huge chunks excised from it in different parts to like bring the running time down. But yeah, it feels weirdly coherent, and as a like brand management exercise, it's it's not bad. Yeah, I mean, they probably sold a lot of toys. <laughs> oh, not as like. The thing, the big difference between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin is that, like, Batman and Robin is when they're like, okay, we're going to go, like, full marketing push. We're going to get, like, we really want to make as many toys out of this as we can. And that's where you get all those insane costumes and extra characters and all that other good stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll transition into uh, the next segment, which is, uh, you know, we are going to tell you why we think you should watch this movie um so if you don't mind matt i could do my list first go right ahead i can't wait to hear it honestly (laughs) okay so uh i think batman forever is gonna be good for people who uh like jim carrey but not too much Because Jim Jim Carrey is, like, amazing in this movie, but I feel like he's not the same, like, mask Jim Carrey that a lot of people are, like, maybe know him better for. Like, I, personally, I think this is the perfect amount of Jim Carrey, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to uh, lead any true Jim Carrey fans astray. It's also good for people like me who had uh, childhood crushes on Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> which was super awkward when I like saw the cast list and I was just like, oh no, <laughs> it's this dude again. Because like as an adult, he seems like such a douche. <laughs> I mean, like I hope that's the Robin character. Um, but like, yeah, like watching this now, I'm like, I cannot believe this was something I was super attracted to as a child. Ugh. Uh <laughs> And um, if you enjoy ridiculous costumes slash bat nipples being on the bat costume, you should totally check out this movie. All right, so is it my turn now? Because oh, you you did bring up the thing that I that every every single person on earth who's ever seen a Joel Schumacher Batman movie brings up the same thing. That is the bat nipples every (laughs) single time. And the more I've like thought about it as like an adult and found out more about Joel Schumacher and like the story of like the production behind it, it kind of actually makes sense in a weird way or not necessarily sense, but it it fits into like the, the mindset of the movie. Like that's, that's what I find the most interesting about uh, Batman forever is that it, 
really is just a radically different take on it and something that in a way that I think may have made fans uncomfortable. I think some of the backlash against it may actually come from just the general discomfort people had with this kind of like visual take on Batman, Mm -hmm. especially costume design. Because Joel Schumacher, like his background, he has a lot of background in uh, fashion design. And that's kind of why a lot of this stuff has, there's a lot of different like materials, a lot of different like fits, like there's suits and then like these ridiculously oversculpted costumes and they're so good though no they're fantastic and they're like really interesting to look at the other like part i think that comes from this sort of discomfort is that uh joel schumacher at least as far as i know is the only openly gay uh superhero movie director at least that i know of and when you like taken from that context suddenly like the hyper glorification of like male physique in those costume designs starts to make sense like there's there's some kind of like fetishization of like Batman. Uh, it's something that's like li- I think literally called out by Nicole Kidman's character, <laughs> uh, like fairly early on in the movie too. There's also probably it's hard to it's hard to give like an exact like proportion, but there's like ten times more lingerie in this movie than you'd think there should be. Yeah, or that you think would come up naturally. <laughs> well, it's also kind of interesting because it's almost just like obligatory it's never really lingered on like a a movie from the male gaze typically would be but then you have this like very uh like focused like suiting up sequence when i don't even think it's necessarily the beginning but like there there are two uh suiting up sequences there's two okay that that explains it so like whenever batman puts on a new style of bat suit you get to see like you know really close-up visions of it including bat butt every time oh yeah like it's something that almost feels like a, a punchline where it's just like, wait, was that just Val Kilmer's ass? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, a lot of the like lingerie scenes are, are kind of just glossed over, whereas yeah. normally in a, a more traditional, like, yeah, like I said, male gazy type of shooting, it would be lingered on and you'd be able to like savor it. And this is just like, yeah, you know, she's wearing lingerie. Next scene. Right, but in case you had any any doubt this wasn't made by a man, like, they, they still treat the women as set dressing, basically. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think Nicole Kidman has any meaningful part in this well, movie. And neither are uh, Two-Face's, two like, henchwomen. Um, Drew, Drew oh, Barrymore yeah. being one of them. I can't remember the name of the other one because she's in, like, literally two scenes. Yeah. it's Yeah, it is kind of bizarre because um, Drew Barrymore gets way more screen time than her her like devil shoulder uh other woman counterpart yeah i think they go in a lot of interesting places with like the idea of two-face as being like a split personality i don't think it yeah. comes from like respect for the source material as much as it's like <laughs> well it's also not coming from a place of respect for uh like the franchise itself because I mean, the entire reason that Billy D. Williams showed up as Harvey Dent in the original Batman was because he was planning on coming up back as Two Face, mm-hmm. and Joel Schumacher, like, not 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 by accident, like he actually gave the part to Tommy Lee Jones. I forget why. But I think it maybe just because he was more familiar with him, but hmm. that like that was a conscious recasting. Well, I can't say whether or not that would have uh, ended better for uh, Joel Schumacher. I mean, we we all get to like think about what a, a Billy D. Williams two-face would have been like. I, I have to admit, I'm curious, but <laughs> I, I'm not disappointed with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. No, uh, especially 
like with the writing in this movie, I don't think anyone could have done better or oh, worse with that Two Face. Oh yeah, this the the script is exceedingly wooden at times. Yeah, but when you have like these hyper theatrical sort of villain portrayals, it kind of works. The other person it works for is uh, Michael Go, who comes back as Alfred. I I do not care what anyone else's opinion is. This is like the definitive Alfred for me. Oh yeah, totally. His his Alfred is so spot on. It's amazing. He's also just like, like he he brings a kind of like quality to it. He's just like, man, I wish I had a butler. <laughs> but it's not even like I wish I had a butler to like serve me food. It's just like I wish I had a butler who would sass me all the time. Yeah, he's he <laughs> he just seems like a fun guy to have around and kind of useful yeah. at times. Plus, like my favorite thing, and this is I think something from the that comes from the comics is that there's always like references to things that alfred has done but you never see alfred do anything <laughs> like there's a time where uh, probably my favorite sort of glossing over of how people work uh bruce wayne is shot in the head by uh <laughs> by two-face passes out falls on the stairs he wakes up in bed and you basically are left to assume that alfred played by a man who looks like he's in his late 70s at best carried this full-grown man into bed and like tucked him in and everything and you know stitched up his wound and whatever else. yeah and there's also like he re- he like <laughs> obliquely re- uh refers to having made robin's costume you're just like alfred can do anything if you're just not on screen but i but i love that quality too because he's such like a sweet old man and you find out like he's like making he's essentially sewing like body armor just off screen yeah and he does it pretty fast too like I don't know, the movie's not super clear on how long it is between, like, Robin getting to the Batmansion until he, A, breaks into the Batcave, and B, like, decides to become Robin and has his own suit. But Alfred works pretty fast. Oh my god, that, like, that weird, that weird, like, Assassin's Creed parkour (laughs) sequence where he just, like, leaps into an open door and falls down about six staircases into the Batcave. (laughs) He could have probably just like jumped like because he was on the top of kind of like a spiral staircase kind of thing watching this door close he could have much easier easier much more easily like dropped down two to three stories because it's not like there weren't ledges right under him but instead he does this like insane parkour sequence that like he's bouncing all over the mansion and then slides into the door that <laughs> there are weird moments of characterization like that where it's like oh right robin's an acrobat yeah. he's very he's very athletic and there's a <laughs> there's a sequence and this is the weirdest thing i think that's ever shown up in a batman movie they establish that robin has martial arts training by having him do laundry it's pretty great <laughs> I won't say I I won't say anything else about it. It's something that you have to just you have to watch. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> I think that's one of the few scenes I actually remembered from uh, Batman Forever. Oh, how could you forget it? Because it, it really comes out of nowhere. And yeah, you think it's like it's oh, so that's, it's nice. He's doing chores, and then Alfred's also just like doing laundry right next to him, <laughs> and is totally he's nonplussed. He's just. Yeah, he's just calmly watching him just wave wet clothes around. It's like that's a natural thing for him to do. I mean, you have to imagine that, like, Bruce does the same thing in that case. (laughs) 
That's why Alfred is just so like not bothered by this happening occur like occurring right behind him. He's just like, oh yes, this is just how Master Bruce does the laundry. He has that quintessential <laughs> British charm that is basically nothing on earth could surprise him. Yeah, maybe that's the other part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, another piece of like another thing about like the costume design of this movie is that sometimes you get like little bits of information, lots of really fun parts just from like the look of the characters. There's an entire scene where it be you become aware that uh Edward Nigma is dressed exactly like Bruce Wayne. Oh my gosh, that was so good. And it's the funniest thing because it like it's they're little like character details drawn out in these like costume designs and the way that like they change. Yeah. And it's super interesting because it's it, they start out the scene where it's like very subtle. You're kind of like, oh, okay, I remember uh, Eddie Nigma's hair being slightly different. That's kind of weird. And, you know, Ben's fashion is pretty subtle. So it's hard to tell at first that he's wearing the exact same suit as Bruce's. But then it comes up to like this pivotal moment where like Bruce takes these glasses out of his pocket and puts them on and is like looking at, at his machine. Because uh, his, his whole shtick is he basically invented VR. With uh, shockingly accurate hardware limitations, to be honest. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. And then uh, Riddler, like, is digging through all his pockets and he comes up with the exact same pair of glasses that Bruce just put on. All right. Is that is that the end of your uh, your list of, of sweet Batman things? I think so. I mean, like, it, I could probably, like, go on for quite a while. Just, like, little <laughs> details that stand out. They're just, like, really fun. But most of it, like, I think the... The big thing that I think is that makes it fun to watch is just that it comes from a completely different perspective and a completely different person than has ever made Batman anything ever since. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that, like, originally, um, Joel Schumacher pitched doing a prequel. He wanted to do his own adaptation of uh, Batman Year One, and Warner Brothers didn't want to do prequels. Like, this is way back when prequels weren't, like, the thing that they are now. Warner Brothers was just like, no, you have to continue the franchise. Oh, Warner Brothers. How much you've changed, and not necessarily for the better. <laughs> yeah, Looking I've... at you, five fantastic beasts and where to find them sequels. Yeah, I mean, even how they handle Batman right now, it, it's funny how, like, consistent they are with, like, the way that they handle things. Mm-hmm. The other, the other weird thing is that this movie was actually very successful. It doesn't seem like it would be. <laughs> yeah, now it's it's funny because all these these Joel Schumacher movies are so universally hated and they're treated like like the room like they're right next to the room or something. But they're way more coherent than they than they are than they like get have the reputation. Yeah, definitely. Man, those words did not come out in the right order. I understood what you meant. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I almost feel like. The, it, it is kind of unfair because there's more to them than they're given credit for. There's more character work. And the fact that, like, it still develop, it broadens Bruce Wayne as a character while also being kind of silly just makes me kind of happy because, he, <laughs> like, there are more serious, darker Batman movies that have accomplished so much less mm -hmm. for the sake of just appealing to people who don't want Batman to ever be anything but this weird sort of like grim portrait of just hyper masculinity. Yeah. It's definitely like it's such a sign of the times for what kind of superhero movies like people 
or like studios think we're invested in. Uh, I think like Wonder Woman's brought us back from the brink a bit. I guess that's not even fair. Uh, it's brought DC back from the brink, certainly. But, you know, for a while, all we had was these super serious superhero movies. And, uh, you know, again, no color palette. It all had to be very serious. And then we started getting things like Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man and Wonder Woman. And I, I feel like Batman Forever and then Batman and Robin are even further along that spectrum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think people look back and think that like Batman Forever and especially Batman and Robin were kind of like the cause of that like superhero movie crash that you know only Christopher Nolan was able to pull us out of but like there were other ones too I mean there was um oh god there was Steel if you if you haven't oh man okay we need to add that to the list we're gonna all we're all gonna okay. watch we're all gonna watch Steel because you, you have no idea how much how much how much further down this goes <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, I want to bring up the the fact that the soundtrack for this movie is one of the like craziest co- like combinations of things I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> so this is the this is the thing that introduced us to uh, "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal, and I don't think like nothing nothing that like basically brings something like that into the like cultural consciousness can ever be truly bad. But there are other things on the soundtrack, like there's Nick Cave next to Smashing Pumpkins next to Brandy. And I think Method Man shows up at some point. It's very interesting. <laughs> it it truly runs the gamut. Yeah, they they had, they had all their bases covered for sure. <laughs> yeah, they were they were just trying. It was it was a demographic shotgun. Oh yeah, yeah. They were like, what popular artists can we get to agree to do a superhero movie? Oh, all of them. All right. <laughs> See, we can kill all the birds if we throw yep. all the stones. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty fun listen. Uh, it definitely stands out a bit in the soundtrack when all of a sudden you hear "Kiss from a Rose," but <laughs> yeah, but like you don't really you don't hear it till the credits, so it kind of feels perfunctory. It doesn't really feel like it is part of the soundtrack. So, oh wait, no, that actually does remind me because the score for this movie is legit amazing. Like Joel Schumacher also made like the you know it was another conscious decision. It was like he didn't want he wanted to depart in as many styles as they could from Tim Burton's work, mm-hmm. and he intentionally said like don't use the Danny Elfman score uh as as like a, a reference point like we want to do something completely different i actually feel i need to look up like who the uh, who is actually scored by because i feel bad for not knowing their name uh Elliot Goldenthal it was it was a good score though it was like i feel like it was still batman but it was also not you know like Danny Elfman batman and super serious and yeah low and all of that stuff. I'm pretty sure uh, Danny Elfman's score was like the reference point for the animated series uh, theme. Yeah, it must have been. Oh boy, I just discovered something very important. Uh-oh. If you uh, if you go to the, the Wikipedia article for this movie, there is an entire section with a giant bullet point list of things that got cut out of the movie. Oh, all right. I'll have to. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I I would be super curious to see what got cut out. Yeah, that that really does carry across just how much like got just sliced out of this movie. It, it has. It is in some points. It is running with like the barest amount of exposition it needs to like in order for oh, the yeah. movie to make sense. Yeah. And other parts where it feels like the scenes are just slightly out of order. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty obvious this movie has been heavily edited. Yeah, it does. It is ambitious. I can't fault it for that. Yeah, it's it's not like Suicide Squad levels of having been heavily edited, but you you can definitely feel it. And like, I I would not 
you know, super consider myself a, like, movie connoisseur or, you know, capable of, you know, seeing a movie and being like, oh, the studio came in and made these changes. But as like a, a movie casual, if you will, it's pretty obvious that stuff's been cut out and like slightly rearranged to, you know, cover up those cuts. Yeah. I think the, that that's where the fun of this movie comes from is just seeing someone ha- like take their own stance on Batman in general. Oh, yeah, totally. And it gets even better in Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that like Batman and Robin is them introducing new flavors into the equation. Oh, my goodness. It's ridiculous. That, oh, that's another thing that is a super good through line from uh, Batman Forever into Batman and Robin is when Bruce basically tricks Robin into staying at the Batmansion with him. He takes him into his like car collection and shows him all of his cool cars and motorcycles and stuff. And when um, Alicia Silverstone shows up as Batgirl, Robin does the exact same thing to her because she's also kind of like a, a bike racer, like kind of street racing kid who somehow Batman adopts. And she's like, oh, I'm out of here. I don't want to stay with you, Uncle Alfred. And Robin is like, but wait, what about this sweet car museum we have? <laughs> and she's like, I'm listening. So it's pretty, I, I thought that was pretty yeah, adorable. I remember that. Oh, yeah, that's the other kind of sign of the times in it is that this is before uh commissioner gordon was like a serious character in like batman canon well not in canon because like year one had come out and like established you know jim gordon as like a detective but as far as like tv and movies go he was kind of like a bit bumbling like not really super helpful and it's kind of like batman doing the work for gotham for them i was totally unfamiliar with this stereotype despite having seen batman and robin or this this like this version of jim gordon so i was just like wait what's happening yeah, he's just this like unassuming <laughs> rotund man who's just like all right then batman will take care of it yeah yeah it's so interesting yeah like his his shape even changes <laughs> in order to be not taken seriously it's pretty incredible yeah and what do we have now we have jk simmons just being ripped as hell yeah I love J.K. Simmons, but he is genuinely (laughs) terrifying. And and then like um, the the Jim Gordon of um, the Arkham games, who's just like a fucking square brick square man. Oh, isn't that like the he's the the voice actor who is uh, Mr. Harriman in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? Oh my god, I have no idea. But if that's true, someone someone in Arkham Asylum is voiced by that because I remember that distracted the hell out of me when I played it. (laughs) I hope it's Jim Gordon. <laughs> All right. So if if no one wants to watch Batman Forever for whatever reason, uh, what are some similar movies that you think they should consider watching instead? Oh, boy. I don't know about, like, similar movies. I think Joel Schumacher Batmans are very distinct in <laughs> in the way that they work. Yeah, I, I really can't think of anything. Like, I mean, if you want, if, like... Uh, something i guess that's like at least semi-driven by costume design and like high fashion the only other thing i can think of is the fifth element because of uh, jean-paul gaultier's work on that yeah yeah yeah. that's a good one um so i'll like mine are gonna be kind of obvious um so if you think batman forever doesn't go far enough into being ridiculous definitely watch batman and robin uh there's like no way you could even try and take that movie seriously if you think that Batman 
forever isn't serious enough, just go back one to Batman Returns and you're done. <laughs> but like actual in seriousness, um, I think Batman, the Lego Batman movie is like a super good touchstone for uh, Batman Forever. It's also very, it, it deals with kind of the same themes of Bat Family and it really touches on the 60s TV show in, in similar ways to to this movie. So I yeah. think those are my recommendations. I'm fairly sure there's there are some uh, Batman. There are Joel Schumacher references in Lego Batman because Lego Batman is kind of like a like a confluence of a bunch of different references <laughs> from all iterations of Batman. Yeah. But it definitely sticks the closest I feel to either Joel Schumacher or '60s Batman. Yeah, it's true. Like Bruce Wayne as a character. I mean, Bruce Wayne became like this kind of weird ascetic kind of like monastic like vigilante when uh christopher nolan brought Mm -hmm. it back which is an interesting like take on it but it really like the absence of levity really kind of became more pronounced as it went on and then like when you know that sort of trilogy ended and they decided to just lean into it harder which is a decision you can make i guess (laughs) yeah lego lego batman really like it's a good point to come back to and then like go back into the earlier batmans and like have fun with those i actually want to i want to recommend um bob chipman movie bob used to do a a series on movies for the escapist i think it's called uh, the big picture Mm, yeah that sounds familiar i'm pretty sure you can still find it he has a um multi-part uh retrospective on like the batman franchise it was made around the same time that dark knight rises was coming out so it's not like comprehensive now but he he goes over like the basic history of like from Tim Burton up through like Christopher Nolan the sort of like history of the Batman franchise and offers some like really interesting interpretations on sort of like the qualities of those movies and like what things like made them the way that they are. Nice. I like the addition of uh, internet movie personalities. <laughs> I've definitely been more getting into that stuff, so totally go watch that. Yeah, pretty much anything like. Any of the uh, video series that Movie Bob's come up with are fairly like high quality, and you can at least learn, if not something new, uh, you can get like a neat perspective on stuff. Yeah, all right, that sounds good. I think we can uh, call this club to a uh, to a close. Where can the Garbos find you, Matt? Uh, right now, probably at Dash Jump Cancel on Twitter. All right. And you can message us at uh, mail at thegarbage.club. We have an email. We have an email now. Um, we have the email. Uh, and we can find us on Twitter at thegarbage underscore pod. And uh, we have a Tumblr also where we post fun gifts as, as well as the episodes. So the, the Tumblr is thegarbageclubpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, And we will see you guys at the next Garbage Club. Batman Forever rules. Don't at me. Joel Schumacher for life. Don't at me. No, Joel Schumacher, do at me. Anyone else, don't at me. (laughs) 